Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This is for UFC 282. This episode of the Dogger Pass Podcast and all episodes of the Dogger Pass Podcast are brought to you by Prize Picks. Use promo code DOP when making an account to get a match up to $100 on your first deposit. Megan's on the sticks. Cody Saftik on the line, breaking down UFC 282. Not a great pay per view, but lots of good fights. Fights that I'm really looking forward to scattered across. So. You know, 13 opportunities for profit, Cody. Uh, we got to pick our spots here. I don't even have a bet in yet because, yeah, I've just been... I mean, last week was actually a pretty decent week. Like, I profited, so that in the year 2022 is a good week for me. I haven't exactly been uh, knocking the doors off by any stretch of the imagination, particularly in the last six months. But, yeah, profit is profit for me this but, like, last week I had a whole bunch of bets, liked a whole bunch of spots, going through, preparing for today's show. It's just like, I don't know, man. Not not much is really jumping off the page. So, hopefully, you're going to be able to talk me into some some good or maybe bad decisions. Yeah, I got torched on Jack Hermanson last week. So, all I can do is dust my stuff off and get back in the column. So, <clears throat> that's what we're going to try to do here. It, you, you mentioned it's not exactly like the most stacked pay-per-view. I'm going to go ahead and agree. I think the UFC is just trying to squeeze out one more before year's end. And so they're giving you, it's like, oh, it's a title fight. But it's not. It's not a title fight. And like the craziest thing about this not actually a title fight is it's not the number one guy. It's not even the number two guy. It's the number three guy and the number fourth guy. So I don't know how much interest there is there from the general fan. But yeah, keep in mind, there's 13 fights on this card. And yet the only fight that I'm seeing anybody talk about online is Errol Hawani versus Patty Pimblett. So <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe Dana was like, dude, start some shit. We need to up the buy rates here, Patty. Let's do your thing. That's definitely a possibility. Um, but also I was, I was explaining to Megan, like outside, I was trying to explain the dramas that are going on here. And I'm like, you know, one, Paddy has gotten big enough that he doesn't necessarily need Helwani to, like, help him. Because like, she was like, oh, well, it's kind of crazy how, like, they do do these interviews for free. I'm like, lots of them, like, getting onto that platform is a huge thing for them. But on top of it, it's like bringing that type of beef up with, the, uh, with Dana White on your podcast the week of a pay-per-view. I mean, you know, if he did this a week ago... I'd be a little bit more in tune with like this beef. This just seems like a way to, you know, how do you get all the journalists to talk about it? Go after the biggest journalist and, you know, call him out. And then Ariel has his retort. I haven't seen Ariel's retort yet, but that's kind of, you know, that's, that's the nature of the beast. That's the nature of the business. So I'm not going to get like too, uh, too overwhelmed, too deep in the weeds on any of that. I think a lot of it kind of turns into like fight promotion. Let's get into the fights. We've got Magomed Ankalaev taking on Jan Blahovic. Ankalaev, a minus 255 favorite. Jan, Polish power can be had for plus 215. I mean, I, I believe maybe it was like at the end of our... I think we talked about it on last year's uh, year in review show. I picked Ankalaev to be the champion at 205 pounds, but like... This is not exactly how I drew it up, Cody. A lot of those people who had like the 10 to 1 tickets on him to hold this belt by the end of the year. It's like you should be counting your lucky stars because this was never actually supposed to happen. Obviously, they were going to run back um, 
Glover and uh, and Yiri. And uh, Yiri obviously has like a serious, serious shoulder injury. Glover, for whatever reason, didn't really want to be involved. So we're, we're left with this. I think Ankalaev is better really in all facets of the game. The one struggle I have had with a lot of his fights when I've been laying like decent sized chalk on him is like I can't really decipher like when he's really going to press, when he's going to go for a finish. He fights very, very safe a lot of the times. He's a really tough nut to crack, to be perfectly honest. Um, I think he wins. Minus 255 as a favorite. I don't hate it. I don't love it. I'll, I'll be picking him up. Maybe I'll end up with him on a parlay at some point over the course of the week. Um, but, yeah, the biggest problem for me, you know me, I don't really touch, like, wide money lines all that much. My biggest problem with him is, like, trying to prop shop. It's just like, is this going to go to decision? Is he going to finish him inside the distance? Like, it's it's tricky with Ankle Live every single time. He doesn't really, yeah, like, he doesn't really press. It's almost like he needs an opponent to, like, get in his face and make it a fight. And Jan doesn't really do that himself either. Like, he'll, he's happy to stand there and throw counters as well. So, very interesting fight. Um... Uh, I think Ankalaev does have him covered pretty much everywhere except for maybe like one hit or quitter type of power. Um, but yeah, minus 255, it's like the price doesn't seem too off from actual win probability in my opinion. What about you? Yeah, I'm going to agree. I don't know if those books would pay out those those future tickets on uh, Ankalaev's the champion by the end of the year because it's like, is he the champion or is it some in the language interim champion? being vacant bullshit i don't know but truth be told he should be the champion i think he's the number one guy in the division i think he's you know clear precise if you throw him up versus yuri he uses his wrestling to beat yuri yeah if you throw him against glover he uses his striking to beat glover the thing about him is that he can do everything seems to have good cardio seems to have good durability seems to have high ring iq and then in being a high ring iq guy sometimes they're going to label you as being boring they labeled george Saint pierre as boring they labeled Khabib Nurmagomedov was boring. They labeled Leota Machida as boring. And all those guys kind of actually went down as like legends, right? Being fan favorites. So you can be smart. You can take your time. But you're going to need a couple finishes here and there. Jan presents a, an interesting fight because, you know, he's a guy that's going to bring it to you. He's going to try to come forward. But I just don't think he's the same guy he used to be. The whole Polish power narrative and he's getting going and he's 40 years old almost and he wins a world title. I mean, that's all crazy. That's all good stuff. That's all, you know, stuff that you'll never be able to take away from Jan Blachowicz. But... I think his body's starting to deteriorate pretty rapidly. When you actually look at the how got him to his title fight, let's say, it's like, okay, he beat Luke Rockle, retired, irrelevant, you know, was at the back nine. And it was all middleweight for the record. Beat Jacques Souza, 40 years old, over the hill, back nine. Corey Anderson. Corey Anderson then gets cut, goes to Bellator. Not bad. I like Corey Anderson. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, losing in Bellator, right? Dominic Reyes, done, irrelevant. Israel Adesanya, that's actually a close and competitive fight. He wins it down the stretch with his wrestling. Israel Adesanya, a middleweight. That's kind of the key for me. So, again, the optics are good because it's all big-name guys, but none of them really clashed him style-wise. When he ran into Glover, he had a neck injury. The whole time, he's moving strange. As soon as the fight hits the ground, he's got terrible takedown defense. He allows his can opener to get applied routinely. He kinks himself for sure. And then the second round, he just gives it up. The running meme was... Look how fast he tapped in that fight. Like Glover grabs his neck and he's already tapping out. He wants out. So to me, that was the body breaking down. It really was. So I bet 
a good amount against him in his next fight against Alexander Rakic because I think Jan Blockwitz is done. And for my money's worth, <laughs> Rakic is winning the fight and then hurts himself. Story of my 2022 is uh, people getting hurt and fights are otherwise winning. So unfortunately, Rakic gets hurt in that fight and it goes down as a TK win for Jan, but he didn't look good in that fight. He didn't look good in the first and in, in the last fight against Glover. I think. He- older i think his body's deteriorating a little bit and where does he win this fight he'd have to go and land a hail mary punch and speaking of hail mary punches we've seen tiago santos over his 25 minutes with ankle live really just like land that one shot you know he's able to rock him he's able to put him on his seat for a second and ankle live just jumps back up and then just goes right back to what he was doing which is picking and plotting and and, and figuring you out and setting traps and I feel like the guy's durability is good enough to withstand that one quick shot and also withstand 25 minutes of just pressure and constant work rate. So, yeah, I got Uncle Life winning. I don't think the money line is terrible, but if I was to try to chase a prop, I got a feeling he's going to do it inside the distance. 25 minutes, long time. Yawn, you know, ain't what he used to be. And uh, it'll be one of those spots where he'll just get him to the ground, third, fourth, maybe fifth round, and then uh, just go for it. And Yawn will just be too tired to uh, keep up the pace. Ankle Life inside the distance is slight, slight, slight plus money. I guess it gets you off of the minus 255. Not very good. My problem, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, if it was like plus 200 or something like that, I'd be a little bit more excited. But the problem with him is like, yeah, he could just sit back. And like even on price picks, they got like the 65 significant strikes. It's just like Ankle Iev could totally just sit back, you know, use, use his range, uh, dance around the outside of the cage and like better, a little bit better footwork than Jan, a little bit faster than Jan and like, Pick him apart, get 60 significant strikes over a really boring 25-minute uh, fight and and pull off the win. Like, I, I find him really hard to bet because I really don't know what mentality he's going into. And obviously, like, the Anthony Smith finish last time, he did get the finish, but it was like it was kind of because of an injury on top of that. Um, he's a really t- he's a tough guy to, to bet because he's always a big favorite and there's no really – clear path to uh to a certain prop so yeah i'm struggling with it but we'll see over the course of the week maybe i end up with something ankle live involved on my ticket moving on down we got patty the batty pimblet taking on jared gordon minus 255 for patty plus 215 for gordon i mean i'm 0 three for patty uh, patty pimblet fights so far i've been fading them every single step of the way so it's like uh, jared gordon is in, you know, is a is a step up in competition. Am I pot committed at this point, Cody? Do I just have to keep uh, keep firing away? Because um, I could see Gordon causing him some problems. Like I think what Patty's really good at, he, he's excellent at taking the back. The wrestling isn't exactly elite by any stretch of the imagination, but he wins scrambles, and when he gets to your back, he obviously has an excellent rear naked choke. Um, he's gonna have massive reach advantage over Gordon here he swings like a wild man he is a wild man and he claims that he cannot be knocked out Uh, all things that kind of have held up as uh, true at least in his UFC tenure here Um, I mean I'm such a sucker for it at some point I'm probably gonna end up with money on Jared Gordon I'm not gonna lie but uh, interested to hear what you have to say. Maybe you can make some points to completely talk me off of the ledge. Yeah, well, first of all, Patty Pimblet is a walking time bomb. Like, I think that you could make a, a you know, a set of just fading him all the time. He's going to run into that that fight eventually. You've got, like, an extra hate for Patty that I never quite uh, understood. Hate, and then, hate is and a weird as- way. Hate, hate is a weird word. Hate. 
hate is I wouldn't say I hate him. I actually enjoy like his That's podcast. True. I enjoy his content. I just don't think he's some sort of like elite talent. Um, I've been fading him against guys who are way worse than Jared Gordon. So in theory, I should probably continue betting against him. But now I'm licking my wounds after, you know, going 0-3 against the kid. And like even in those spots where like he was an even bigger favorite against bum like like low low level fighters like there were moments there were little glimmers of hope in there that my underdog plays were going to come through like I think he's going to get exposed eventually it's just the question becomes whether it's Jared Gordon I just had yeah. to step in you know Patty's firing at Ariel Helwani and Helwani's firing back I got no beef with Patty whatsoever I don't need that heat Cody. I don't need that heat. I'm not a Patty hater. I just don't think he's a very good fighter. Okay, okay. So hate's a bit of a strong word. Maybe you don't hate Patty Pimblett. Sure, he's an entertainer. Sure, he's a fan favorite. But, like, you're the only one that doesn't want to jump on the bandwagon. You just want to cast shade. And, man, you're not wrong, right? So his first one against Luigi Vendramini, I didn't understand where you were coming from. But Vendramini goes out. He drops him pretty clean. He has some early success. Patty works his way back into it. But it was a sweat for anybody who had you know, minus money, Patty Pimblet tickets. His next one against Kazula Vargas. Now I think you're outright out of your mind. And then he slips over. Kazula Vargas clocks him with one early in the round, gets on top of him, has a little bit of top control. Patty works his way out. Man, that one was so low level against Kazula. Like, damn, Patty wasn't even a clean victory there as well. And then the last one against Jordan Levitt. How is he going to lose? Lose to Jordan Levy. Gives up three takedowns. Gets controlled in the first round. Getting controlled in the second round. And then eventually... Yeah, he, uh, he, you know, he turns the tide and he gets the win. So kudos to Patty Pimblett for being able to make those adjustments. But, man, you're not wrong, man. His striking is mad suspect. He's been too, hurt in two of those three fights. His wrestling defense, really not all that good. And if you're relying on these buzzer beater type of wins, get two of the wins were in the first round, the last one in the second. I just mean, as you move up in competition, if you're giving up rounds to lesser fighters, uh, eventually it's going to burn you in the ass. And there's no denying that the guy is kind of like, not a Conor McGregor, but similar to when Conor McGregor first came to the UFC, super focused, even wants to be the best, wants to be a world champion, gets to that status, makes a bunch of money, and then his career just totally falls off a cliff. Patty, Patty makes it to a high level, but keep in, real, uh, re keep in, in your mind that he comes from Cage Warriors where he fought almost 20 times and probably made absolutely no money. So coming to the UFC, winning your first fight, renegotiating a contract, winning two more, renegotiating a contract again, co-main event on a pay-per-view, everybody's talking about you, you're getting paid, the lifestyle's different, he's ballooning up to 200 pounds, and then trying to yo-yo back down. Like, again, you can get away with that, but eventually you're going to get caught. So... It's just like you're Canadian, so Canadian fans remember. It's like Beat the Bank used to be on the radio, and it was like vault number one, a hundred dollars. They're like, "Do you want to go again, or do you want to pull your money?" In? Yeah, one more time. They're like, hundred seventy-five dollars. Like, oh shit! Uh, give me one more. And pee -wee -wee, you lose everything. That's betting, Patty. You're gonna run into that whammy, hundred percent. It's just when is it gonna come? You, yeah, you've tried to fade him on the first three. I wouldn't say you're totally wrong on that, right? You've been getting close. It's just which guy is going to have that complete skill set to get the job done. Jared Gordon, Jared Gordon's got a ton of skills. At this money line, value size Jared Gordon all day. This, this is a bad money line for Patty Pimplett. However, I still got to side with, with Patty, and I just think that it's going to be the counter um, grappling of Jared Gordon that will probably 
let him down. If you look at a lot of his fights, not fighting Patty Pimblet, of course, but he's fought in a lot of these like wily type grapplers and he gets put in a lot of bad spots. And his fight with Grant Dawson, he gives up seven takedowns. He gets control for the vast majority of it. His fight with Joe Selecki, he gave up four takedowns. First round, he gets backpacked the entire time. He's got a bad habit of giving up his back in these scrambles. He's not exactly the most, the quickest guy. He's 34, 35 years old. He has a well-documented history um, with drugs, narcotics. He, he obviously had an overdose. That's kind of a story. But that, his athleticism is in like peak form. He's a tough grinding type fighter, but he's not going to win those exchanges, those, those those quick explosive positions and end up on top. And I think Patty will. I think Patty will use his grappling to just slowly grind down Jared Gordon, take him down if need be, take his back, control him. Maybe he could find like a rear naked choke in the third round. We have seen Gordon submitted late in, a, in a, that fight with Grant Dawson. I mean, he was holding his own for the first two rounds and in the third he ended up getting caught. I could see Patty maybe sticking him something late. But I got a feeling Patty will just use his wrestling and his control time to uh, to rack up a decision victory. So I am going to take Patty the Batty Bimblet. It's going to run into a wall eventually here. I just don't think that Jared Gordon's that guy. All right, we got Santiago Ponzinibbio taking on Alex Morono. Morono coming on super, super short notice here. Ponzinibbio is a minus 180 favorite. Morono can be had for plus 155. What's your take here, buddy? Yeah, I actually love this fight simply because... I did not want to see Robbie Lawler get beat up by Santiago Ponzinibbio. So if Robbie's hurt and can't partake, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, Morona jumps in there. Santiago Ponzinibbio, another one of these guys, super talented, absorbs a ton of damage. But again, he's still, I wouldn't say he's world class. I wouldn't say he's he's top five, but he's someone that's still capable of hanging with those upper echelon fighters. He's a little bit older. Um, of course, he's got a well-documented eye injury that set him back and the state of what he's come back to the UFC as, you know, that's debatable. But I still think he's competitive against high-level guys. I think he should be okay here. Keep in mind, uh, the win over Miguel Beza, he lands 121 significant strikes. Form looked okay. Even though he starts to get tired, he's still willing to throw down. His fight with Jeff Neal, much of the same. He outstruck Jeff Neal 91 to 85. It's a close fight. It goes to split decision. I thought he beat Jeff Neal, but Neal landed some big shots. Close fight. He loses a split. His last time out against Michelle Pereira, he lands 105 significant strikes and a takedown. Very close fight. Very competitive. Some people argue he won. Loses another split decision. So... On one hand, you could look at it and say, well, he's a lot older. He's lost his last two fights. He's lost three or four since coming back to the UFC and this and that. But no, I mean, he's still very competitive against these guys. And I like that, that volume. I like that he's able to land over 100 significant strikes, even though um, people said that maybe he's chinny and Jing Liang Li knocked him out. And, you know, he's not quite what he used to be. The shots that he absorbed against Jeff Neal, the shot he absorbed, absorbed against Michelle Pereira, this guy's chin seems pretty good. He always comes in world-class shape. He's out of a great gym. I would have to say that, Ponzinibbio just goes there and works Morono over. Morono, meanwhile, it's like a 50-50 case. Like, sometimes he shows up, he just goes through the motions, he fights to his opponent's level. Sometimes he shows up and he looks pretty solid. Right now, four-fight winning streak, you know, a couple decent wins in that mix. However, it's a washed-up Donald Cerrone, a David Zawada that never factored in, a Mickey Gall that was too green in the UFC and has since been released, Matthew Semmelsberger. You know, even Matthew Simmelsberger dropped him, hurt him, put him in some bad spots. Like so, so both guys are not fighting at the same caliber. I would say Morono's got a lot left left in the tank in comparison to Ponzinibbio, but Ponzinibbio's volume, his superior footwork, uh, his hand speed, um, and then and then the puncher's chance for Morono, sure. But again, Ponzinibbio has been getting hit by by bigger punchers. So I think he's just going to stay to the outside, chip away, get the job done. I do have him winning by decision, more specifically. Um, but kudos for Morono for taking a fight on like four or five days notice. Yeah, uh, Morono has a, the puncher's chance here. It's really, I would say at this point in the week, super, super hard to back 
Morono, we don't know what he's going to like. I mean, the guy never looks like in great shape at the best of times. He's not, he's just not like that type of muscular build, right? Um, Ponzinibbio has been getting ready for this card for quite a long time. Kind of unclear what Morono was up to and before he got the call on what, like Monday when Robbie Lawler pulled out. So I'm with you. I'm going to take uh, Ponzinibbio as well. Minus 180 seems relatively fair too, to be perfectly honest. So I'm a little bit surprised by that number, particularly with Alex Morono coming in on short notice. All right, we got Drickus Duplessis. Taking on Darren Till, minus 185 for Drickus, plus 155 for Till. This, in theory, should be a really good matchup for Darren Till. He's taking on a guy who isn't exactly an elite wrestler by any stretch of the imagination. He can maybe mix it in a little bit. Skill for skill in terms of technique for technique. Darren Till should also have him there, but... It's really, really hard backing Darren Till, particularly because the guy throws like in a, you know, in a three round decision fight. Wouldn't be surprised if he threw 50 significant strikes if, if it got if it went a full 15 here. Drigas has some serious power, but like he leaves his chin up. He's very, very wild in exchanges. Darren should be able to hang back and just pick him off as he enters the pocket. Um, and yeah, the biggest thing is that the the takedown threat really isn't there like it has been in some of his other in some of Darren's other like really bad losses. I'm gonna side because of the number plus one fifty five. I'm gonna side ever so slightly on the side of Darren Till um, in this matchup, but I don't know if I can trust him with my money, Cody. What about you? All right, Paul, I actually agree with you and Darren Till. I agree with you so much, I decided to change location, make sure my internet connectivity that much better because I want to get this one through from you. I'm going to agree. Darren Till, dog number one on the card that I like as well. It's all about stylistical clashes. And Darren, he's a career underachiever. We all know how skilled the guy is, but fights Tyron Woodley and doesn't even land one significant strike in two and a half rounds or two rounds. Like, you know, he never quite gets over that hump of that one big spot, but that doesn't take away from how talented the guy is, and especially so as a counterpuncher. He's got a nasty left hand. He doesn't throw high volume, but again, the stuff that he does throw is very clean, lands very clean. Now, this is purely speculation, but you can't spend that much time with Kamzat Chemaev and not at least work on your defensive wrestling a little bit, right? And that's what's going to be the key here. I think Dreykus, you'll see in some of his fights, um, his last fight with uh, Brad Tavares, when he gets hit, he'll go into that reactionary wrestling mode. He'll try to shoot those takedowns. He's a big strong physical guy but not necessarily the most technique if darren till can cause him to panic shoot stuff those takedowns circle out and find a home for that left hand as much as i like Drakus, and he's one of my favorite fighters on the roster the guy leads with his head up in the air he's an all-action guy but he puts himself in harm's way and for someone who's very a uh, clean counter striker like till i think that the opportunity is going to find itself now now till because he's a character similar to a patty pimblitz similar to a conor mcgregor when you have a big mouth you talk a good game People are naturally, you know, going to hate on you. And so that's kind of the case with Darren Till is maybe it's like a recency bias. People know he's a low output guy. People know he's a scouser. People know he's always getting in trouble and he's pulling out a fight due to injury. And and they're kind of writing him off, so to speak. But you look at the guys he's fought and it's Murder's Road, Derek Brunson, Robert Whitaker, Kelvin Gaslam, George Monsvidal, the champion Tyron Woodley, who's a bum, but all the same was the champion at the time. Uh, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, a fight that he, you know, skimmed out a close decision over. So he's competing at that elite level. He just needs a little drawback, a little bit of relief. And I feel like Dreykus, although he's uh, going to come forward and make it a fight, it should present a lot of opportunities 
for Darren Till. So I'm in the same boat as you. I want to bet him. He's the underdog, right? First dog that we like. That plus money looks good, but he's such an untrustworthy guy, Darren Till, because is he going to show up? Is he going to make weight? Is he going to get arrested? There's just always some stupid question that you're kind of thinking to yourself. But if you want to just throw off that narrative of that he's getting himself in trouble or he's not taking it seriously, throw that out the window and just look for it for what it is, which is a stylistical clash. I think he can intercept Drykus and make him pay. So I'm willing to take a shot on that plus 150 as well. All right. Agreement on Darren Till. Uh, let's move on to my favorite fight of the night. Um we got Ilya Topuria taking on Bryce Mitchell. Topuria minus 140 favorite. Mitchell can be had for plus 120. It's kind of like the uh, MMA gambling Twitter's main event here. Everyone's got a hot take. And everyone's like, you know, it's it's a battlefield out there in the in the mean streets of Twitter, Cody, right now. Like everyone is convinced they know exactly what's going to happen when these two people when these two High-end prospects clash, and I think that's kind of crazy, man. Like, I obviously at the at the root of it all, in terms of com- combination striking, uh, power, uh, speed, that is all on the side of Ilya Topuria. Wrestling, uh, I mean, it's really hard to say, really, that Topuria could have an advantage against uh, Bryce Mitchell in that spot. Um, Bryce is. Does he have, like, the most domineering, powerful style? Not exactly, but, like, one thing I would say about Bryce is that he's incredibly intelligent in the fight. He Oh, in the fight, yeah. <laughs> well, that's a, he's a man of many, uh, you know, he's, he's, got, he's, got, he's got a lot of different things going on, for sure. Uh, people may not agree with his political stances, some of his beliefs on, you know, gun control and... And other things, but he's, he's he's a boy from the south. That's that's just the way he is. I think he's a good kid at the end of the day, whether you believe with some of his uh, so or some of his, you know, some of his beliefs or not. But I think in the fight, he's actually like super smart. He doesn't really take unnecessary chances. He fu- he goes into you know he picks his spots even against Edson Barbosa. Just he dropped Edson Barbosa with a straight left. Why? Because he's super super quick. He also had Edson like like terrified of the takedown um the kid keeps getting better and better so I wouldn't be stunned to see Bryce go out there and um you know mind your p's and q's on the feet because that's when Ilya Tupuria is going to be the most dangerous round one it's going to be very very scary um you know entering the pocket every single time he's going to have to take some punishment force Tupuria up against the cage uh I'm gonna pick Mitchell but I think this is more like a maybe maybe we jump on to like a Mitchell round three prop or you, you jump on Mitchell a little bit deeper in the fight. You do run the risk that way that you don't get a price whatsoever because Bryce takes him down in round one. But I don't know. There's something about this kid. I feel like he's he just really fights intelligently out there um, and, and finds the easiest path for his hand to be raised. This is not taking away anything from Toporia. I think both of these guys are going to have great careers in the UFC's featherweight division. Um, can't wait to watch it. Definitely not one that I'm putting my hard-earned dollars on, though. Uh, but, yeah, Mitchell will be my pick. What about you? 
Yeah, this is one of the best fights on the card for sure. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, is it a strong pay-per-view? Maybe not. And a couple fights here, a couple fights there. But I think this is one everyone's interested in. It's good matchmaking. The UFC's gone ahead and they've taken Bryce Mitchell, who's one of their most popular fighters, right? They gave him his own brand of trunks. He has to wear the camo. They've clearly put the marketing machine behind him. And the results speak for themselves. He's continuously taking on better levels of competition and going out and giving a great account of himself. So they're behind him firmly. Deporia, meanwhile... He's the same thing. He's young. He's good looking. He's got an exciting fight style. Fans are starting to gravitate towards him. And whereas you could build these guys up and try to clash them down the road, it's like one of these guys is super legit, is that prospect that everybody thinks he is. And one of them, just not as good as the other. So which one do you kind of want to throw your hat on? Bryce Mitchell, I feel like his development has been a lot better. He came onto the Ultimate Fighter kind of one-dimensional. He's got that jiu-jitsu. I didn't realize how strong he was at the time, but apparently he's got that Arkansas farm boy strength. And once he gets a hold of you, you're in for a world of shit. And you're just seeing it continuously. He's getting, you know, a lot more comfortable in himself. He has the wrestling, doesn't have that striking to back it up. So when he runs into Edson Barbosa, Barbosa's fought all the best wrestlers in the game. He's fought Khabib. You know, he's fought in guys that were much larger than him. He's fought in upweight class. He's fought in just some of the most dominating guys in the division. So he's kind of been there. He's seen there. He's done that. And if he could stuff a few takedowns, sure to God, he's going to outstrike Bryce Mitchell. But call it what you want to call it. Maybe it is Edson Barbosa is so afraid of the takedown that he's leaving his hands down and that allows you know that big shot from Bryce Mitchell to end. It's possible. Khabib Nurmagomedov dropped Conor McGregor on the same basis. Have him think about that wrestling. Have him think about that shot, lower his hands, land the left hand so it's definitely possible but i just think bryce is getting a lot better all around his striking is improving because he's got that country boy toughness he can take one hell of a punch you mentioned you might have to take a punch to give a punch he's willing to do it but beyond all that it seems like he's got energy for days like in fights that it's like man there's a lot of scrambles going on there's a lot of takedowns going on he's ex exhausting a lot of energy here right Still, I mean, he finds another gear. He finds an ability to just keep going. And that to me is impressive. So if he can fight hard for three rounds, he's got the wrestling, he's got the jiu-jitsu, and he's adding striking to his game, plus that durability, there's a lot of good stuff to, to like. And then if I was his coaching staff, right, that one little extra motivator to seal the deal, I'd be like, yo, Bryce, this guy's going around telling everybody that the earth is round, dog. Are you going to let him spread that kind of misinformation? And Bryce, if you know anything about him, don't tell this guy that the earth is round, pal. Do not try to tell him that, Shaz. So, yeah, that will probably piss him off. He goes out, takes down to Poria, gets the job done. Ilya, meanwhile, trust me, man, I, I like the guy. But, again, the UFC's matched him up in such a way that, you know, he can go out there and, you know, his fight with Damon Jackson, you know, rip the body, hands look a lot better, looks like he's solid. His fight with Ryan Hall, well, that's an odd one. Ryan Hall can't strike. Nor does he have the wrestling to take down a physical guy like Deporia. So it's a bit of a wash type fight. And then his last time out, he gets Jai Herbert. Bro, he's a whisker away from losing. And I know everybody felt it because everybody bet him. But it's like, man, he gets dropped by the head kick. He's wobbly. He was a bit of a getting off to a slow start. There was opportunities there. And to me, it seems like Mitchell is fast. He's in your face. He's going to shoot a takedown right behind that strike. He's going to keep going. If he gets on top, I think he's as strong as Deporia. I think his grappling's as good as Deporia. It's the getting the takedowns that's going to be the key difference. And I feel like Deporia's wrestling, yeah, maybe good enough to take down Mitchell, but Mitchell's going to make him work, man. And again, that exhausting pace is going to start to favor over towards uh, Bryce Mitchell down the stretch, I think. So you're not totally wrong with maybe look at it from a live betting stance. Maybe Taporia is at his best in the first five minutes, and then Bryce is able to take over down the stretch. And maybe Bryce is able to finish him late in the fight. But I think it's a Bryce Mitchell decision. I think he just he gets the takedowns, he backs him up, he puts the pressure, gives a punch to take a punch, sure. But just, you know, is the guy that's continuously coming forward, mixing in the takedowns, uh, being the aggressor. That's what's going to lead to him getting his hand raised on the judge's account. So sign me up for Bryce Mitchell by decision.
All right, we got Jairzinho Rosenstrike taking on Chris Dawkins. Rosenstrike, a minus 170 favorite. Dawkins can be had for plus 150. What's your take here, buddy? Yeah, I got to go with Jairzinho Rosenstrike. And again, not something that I love. Simple fact is the guy just doesn't throw, man. He never throws. You dubbed him as having the death touch once upon a time. And I'm going to agree with that, man. He has the death touch. He's one of those guys that if he touches you, it's a world of pain. But similar to like, uh, you know, Jeremy Stevens kind of did it back in the day. Francis Ngannou did it a little bit. The Derek Lewis fight sticks to mind. Is that when you know you have that much power, sometimes you just, you don't let it go. Because you're assuming, yeah, I just hit the guy one or twice, one or two times and I'll knock him out. Yeah, but you got to put money in the bank and you got to work your way towards that or else you're just stagnant. You're sitting there and you're waiting for things to happen. That's very much been years. You know, Rosenstruck, when he wins, he wins huge. He wins spectacular. He hits the guys, they crumple over. When he loses, you know, it's a lot of the times it's against fellow power punchers or good strikers and he just stares like he, he, you know, he's blind. But the guy's got a credible kickboxing background, big power, not totally old for a heavyweight. And he just needs that kind of fight. That power is the only thing he needs to get by. Delkis, meanwhile, Delkis definitely a lot more well-rounded. The two issues that I would foresee for him is that the UFC does this guy no favors. Like, he's not a huge heavyweight. He's kind of one of these guys that would fight in between light heavyweight and heavyweight. If there was a cruiserweight, let's say. 225-ish. He could fight there. He's not like the biggest guy going. And they've matched him up with a ton of these massive power punches, right? So his last two fights, he gets Derek Lewis, knocked out in the first round. His last one against Curtis Blades, knocked out 17 seconds into the second round. When he gets hit, he wears it. And it's one of those things where it's like grazing shots will wobble him. That he'll lose his equilibrium. You know, as far as being a heavyweight, maybe because he's not the biggest guy going, I just don't think he's able to take that damage. Now, what he can do is you look at his four wins in the UFC, three of them are in the first round, one of them's in the second round. So no doubt they're big boys. When big boys get in the cage and they throw down, someone's going down. But in Doukas' case, I almost do feel like the durability might be an issue. And then this has nothing to do with anything. This is just me and my stupid mind. But seeing his brother get thrashed like that by Eric Anders last weekend, yeah, these guys aren't all that physical. Neither one of them are all that physical with their weight class. Neither one of them take a punch all that well. And pretty much all of their losses collectively together are mostly by knockout. So to fight Rosenstruck, yeah, I think you have a wrestling advantage. But are you going to take him down? Probably not. You have a BJJ black belt. That's badass. Are you going to use it? Probably not. You have quicker hand speed. You could touch him up a little bit. But are you going to knock him out? Could be, maybe. Yeah, it could happen. But I'm going to lean towards die trying. Gets in the face, lands a couple shots, gets his confidence going, and then just walks into a counter right hand from Rosenstruck. The flat lines him. So give me Rosenstruck, and then I would be tempted to just go ahead and take that Rosenstruck by knockout. If I was trying to get real greedy, maybe you could go with like a under one and a half Rosenstruck first round knockout. But uh, I got a feeling he's going to get back to his old ways here. Yeah, Rosenstruck by knockout is pretty much uh, pick em price here. Would be very stunned to see this go to decision. I'm I'm more. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to pick Rosenstrike for the purposes of this show, but I'm more interested in the under one and a half rounds. Like, Dacus doesn't... I mean, you you summed it up very, very nicely over the course of the last few minutes. Is like, Rosenstrike can take a shot. He has been a little bit deeper into the fights, but, like, we've seen with Dacus, it's like, if he's not completely styling on you with the speed, it's like a lot of these guys club him, and, and he can't really take the uh, the punishment, so... I mean, Rosenstrike himself is coming off of a knockout loss against Volkov last time out. So I wouldn't be stunned to see Chris, Chris Dawkins win. These are heavyweights. Heavyweights, you know, hit hard. 
crazy things happen all the time, but I still think there's probably some meat on the bone, even though it's minus 155 to the under one and a half. Like, I still think that's actually a half decent little spot there to to exploit. Moving on down, we've got uh, Ra- Raul Rosas Jr. taking on Jay Perrin. Rosas is a minus 240 favorite. Perrin can be had for plus 200. Uh, coming off a contender series, I said Raul Rosas, uh, he kind of looks like, you know, Jay Leno had like a night in Tijuana and, uh, you know, didn't, uh, <laughs> he never, never went back to, to find out he's, he's got a son there. This kid for being as young as he is, my God, like, you know, he's, he's not exactly a pretty looking man, but like we talk about it a lot on the program. If uh, I guess you can't see it right now, Cody, but like this kid's ears, it's like, if you see somebody at the bar with ears that look like Raul Rosas juniors, do not fight with him. Do not do anything but be very very nice to them because they are willing to do things that you are not um is he super super green yes but like his submission grappling when he gets it to the mat is excellent yeah the cardio held up in his contender series fight quite well I think they're they know what they're doing here against Perrin I see a lot of people taking the Perrin dog shot here but I don't know man I think they skillfully selected this kid from Mexico who they have high hopes and dreams of uh, promoting uh, for the next few years here. Um, I think the kid rolls. I think the kid wins likely by submission, which is actually a half decent number. I was looking at it earlier. Rosas by submission can be had out there for my God, best fight odds is so bad these days. Uh, Rosa, yeah, they're all over the place. Submission, uh, plus one eighty-five. Not so bad. We'll see when more options open up over the course of the week. Him inside the distance is plus one forty. I'd probably just take the plus one forty inside the distance in case it's like a you know a mount and pound out type of situation. But I think I'm going to take this kid inside the distance, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I don't think Perrin's the guy to to give him any sort of troubles in this matchup. What's your take? I don't know. Like I honestly could see Perrin giving him troubles just on the basis of... We can't ignore the fact that the kid's 17 years old. He's just about 18. You know when you're young is when they start putting in the halves, right? Because as you get older, you don't tell anybody, like, yeah, no. I'm 36 and a half. You don't, right? But when you're 17, tell people, I'm 17 and a half. That's how young this kid is, man. So, yeah, he's just shy of his 18th birthday. He's about to become the youngest fighter to ever fight in the UFC. That's all crazy. But, yeah, you can't deny the fact that that isn't exactly good. Why isn't there not more 17-year-old fighters in the UFC? Because it's kind of a big achievement, right? There's a very, like, small percent of people that will ever get to this level, let alone could achieve it by 17 years old. So, pretty crazy. Now, listen, when he was on the Contender Series, I tried to fade him. I took Mando Gutierrez. I had a good week that week. It was just I didn't want the 17-year-old kid in my lineup. And uh, he beats Mando. He's got that style that he's eventually going to be very good. He's eventually probably going to be, you know, a top five, top ten guy because he's got good pace, relentless pressure, good cardio. And he fights like all the best world champions. He fights like he wants to be George Champier. He fights like he wants to be Khabib. He kills all the space. He's on you 100% of the time. And he's grinding. Can he strike? No. But he doesn't need to strike. Because of his style. The thing with Mando is that Mando's a small bantamweight. And, like, yeah, he got him down. But, like, Mando created a bunch of scrambles, had some success standing, and then flat gassed out. The kid 
has great cardio, but the kids started to tire as well. This Mando kept giving him these bad positions. There was tons of opportunities for him to sweep and get on top. There was tons of opportunities for him to break away and get back up and take advantage of this kid's sloppiness and this eagerness. But Mando kept kind of just like falling into line with it. So I actually tried to book Mando Gutierrez for a fight like three weeks after he fought the kid, Paulo Rosas, <clears throat> and he was down. He took no damage. He was just like, yeah, I took the fight on three weeks notice. I didn't really look at any tape up on him. Oh, well, I lost some scrambling exchanges. Against someone like Jay Perrin, Jay Perrin makes wrestling kind of a staple of all of his fights. Even when he was on the contender series against Dwight Joseph, you know, he scores four takedowns on him. In his debut against Mario Batista, two takedowns. He also had a lot of success with Batista in the clinch up against the cage. He's strong, he's physical. And his last time out, again, that's the best his wrestling looked. He goes and he gets four takedowns goes in uh, and gets the decision victory. So Perrin can wrestle. He's a little bit bigger. He should have some go. I think he'll give this kid, a, you know, he's going to give him a fight. Similar to why I didn't fade Patty in those early fights is like the UFC knows what they're doing and they're giving the kid an avenue to get the win on his only skill. And that's the wrestling. That's that tenacity. That's the ability to just keep chain wrestling and stay on. And I feel like Rosa can do that. He is physically strong. No doubt about it. I'm wowed by how good this kid is for 17 and a half. For 18, mm-hmm. you know, at 22, he's going to be a beast. At 25, he's going to be, be a beast. At 28, he might be the best fighter on the planet. And that would be 10 years of fighting in the UFC. So is it too much too too soon right now? Could be, could be. But yeah, the marketing machine knows what they're doing in a lot of these instances. Perrin was brought in for a specific reason. Mario Batista took him down, although Batista's a stud, so no shame there. Um, I feel like there is an avenue for Rosa to get his takedowns. But yeah, this is not a fight that I would put high up on the list of priorities this week because you're picking a kid that basically has got to cut out a science class to to go way in. You know, like it's not exactly the best proposition. That, that's all. That's all pretty fair. Um, I don't mind on um, prize picks. They've got Raul Rosa's significant strikes at forty five point five. Like he had like twenty two significant strikes in his contender series fight. Like he seems pretty content to take you down and hold position. Throwing in strikes doesn't seem to be part of the game whatsoever. He's he's trying to sub you. Whether you accept that or not, um, that seems to be most of his game at this point in his development. So 45.5 is pretty high, I would say, based on what we – small sample size, of course, that we saw. Um, I would say that's a, one, of the, one of the numbers that caught my eye so far. Uh, moving on down, we've got Edmund Shabazian taking on Delka Lungiambula. Shabazian, a minus two seventy five favorite. Dulce can be had four plus two thirty five. Your thoughts? Yeah, it's funny. So, like, you know, it's always the outside looking in. You don't know because you're not in those walls. You don't know what's going on. You can say this guy is a fraud coach. You can say this guy's a bad training partner. But it's like, what do you actually know unless you're in the room with these guys, right? In the case of Edmund Shabazian, what we know is. He's a really solid talent. I mean, the guy grew up. He's a whiz kid, man. Grew up in the sport. Grew up doing wrestling, doing jiu-jitsu, boxing. He's got some Golden Glove titles to his his record. He's got a bunch of grappling submission wins to his record. He's done it all for a kid. He's very much just kind of like Roses. He's been doing it his whole life. He got to an, a, a good level. That's the stuff we do know about. Now, we do know that Edmund Shabazian's his coach. Now, everybody says, right from the get-go, right from the get-go, this kid's never going to make it if Edmund Shabazian's his coach because, of course, he's widely considered the biggest fraud and, you know, couldn't teach Travis Brown nothing, couldn't teach Jake Ellenberger nothing. As soon as Ronda lost, the guy literally sat cage side screaming, 
the greatest clip of all times, by the way, screaming no because he saw that moment, his cash cow had left the building. How is he going to get Edmund Shabazian to that level? And, you know, as much as we all said it, and the kid looks like he could be talented, he just falls apart after the first round. So to hear him come out and be like, I need to get out of that place. It's like, yo, how come it took him so long to realize what everybody else sees? But that's kind of being in a cult, right? You don't really see it at first glance. When I look at Edmund Shabazian, I think the golden boy, exactly named that for a reason. He's got a ton of talent. The kid can strike. The kid can grapple. The kid can wrestle. It seems like in all of his losses, after that first round, ooh, the wheels fall off. Do they ever fall off? Now, when you talk about toxic environments and stress and I should have been there and I'm not getting the elite work in, it's possible. It's all possible because you got to be mentally prepped to go in there as being physically prepped. And as much as the kids got the goods, listen, they gave him Derek Brunson, okay? That's a top five guy who's going to wrestle your head off. Then they, they give him Jack Hermanson in his comeback fight. Because, like, what a great comeback fight. He's fighting another guy that's ranked in the top 10, right? And then his last time out, they gave him Nasruddin Imovov. Like, do the kid a favor. Build him back up. Give him that slow build. So he's left um, Edmund. He's moved over to Extreme Couture in Las Vegas. He's got a number of training partners on this card. Everybody in the gym talking about the same things that everyone's always talked about. This kid's super talented. He can kind of do it all. And so when I look at this matchup with Dolce Lungambulia, Unless he flat gasses out, I don't know where Lulcha beats him. Lulcha's super physical, obviously a big jacked-up guy. If he lands that shot, yeah, it's his MMA. Anything can happen. But uh, but again, for my money's worth, he's you know 40 years old, nearing 40 years old, uh, a little bit slower. He relies on that one big shot. He's got a judo black belt, but again, he tends to give up a decent amount of takedowns. He's got the big power. We know he's got that big power. And Shabazian's, while he's actually not done too good against physicality and big power, but I want to liken that back to the fact that the kid's been fighting top 10 guys routinely and looking good until he falls apart, whereas Dolce kind of gatekeeper-ish at this point. So Dolce's on a three-fight losing streak. He's lost four of his last five fights. He got knocked out his last time against Polana Soriano. He got choked out by Cody Brunridge in a fight that he was dominating. Mm -hmm. And then he lost a decision to Marc-Andre Berrio. That's the trifecta, dog. You dropped a decision. You got knocked out. You got choked out. Yeah, he's a body. And he might give you a round or two. It's a good experience. But this is the UFC trying to get Shabazian back on track. And I think he capitalizes on it. So give me Edmund Shabazian to get his hand raised here. Yeah, it all makes sense. It all makes sense to me. Like, Dolce is like a relatively tempting number to kind of look at this week just because... The power. It is wide, <laughs> and Edmund has been struggling, but... And yeah, he's he's kind of like, he's... A war. I wouldn't even say, like, the, the power. It's just like... It looks a lot more powerful when he's like when he's swinging those bungalows at you, but like I don't know, man. I think that power may be a little bit overrated. Like he's not knocking guys clean out at the UFC level very often. Um, he's been getting. I mean, how did he not put Cody? Br I think that's my struggle. It's just like I had him <laughs> against Cody Brundage there, and like we had that one, and then absolute choke job, like the worst of the worst. I'll pick Edmund. But uh, I'm a little scared off by the price, not going to lie to you. Uh, moving on down, we've got Joaquin Buckley taking on your boy, Chris, Action Man Curtis, minus 150 for Joaquin Buckley, plus 130 for Curtis. People have been reaching out to me, trying to get me onto this Curtis line, like, for a week or so, and they were all, you know, it was plus 100s, plus 110s, and I'm like, eh. the market seems to like Buckley, so I'm just going to sit back on my hands and... And wait 
and wait and wait. And now we got like plus 130s, plus 135s. Um, obviously, Buckley is, all, you know, all action when he's when he's out there. It's a lot of he's got some flashy techniques. In terms of who just has like the the better like boxing routine here, it's like Chris Curtis should be able to pick him apart at range. The more you know, high amplitude, more damaging, big time, dangerous type of shots should be coming from the Buckley side here. I mean, Chris Curtis has done. We've done some pretty good things with him. Obviously, the performance last time out against Jack Hermanson, which was short notice, was pretty bad. Like, he wasn't able to cut off the cage and got mad about Hermanson not just engaging in that style of fight with him. So, like, these are all factoring into him being a plus 130 underdog here. But, I mean, this seems like a half-decent matchup that uh, that Chris Curtis could come away victorious in. So, because it's plus 130, I'll be I'll be picking him. But I'm more interested in what you have to say about this one. Yeah, I'm going to go with Chris, Chris Curtis, as I always do. The action man, my boy, of course. Yeah, we have done good on him. The last one against Hermanson, we had to give a little bit of it back. But uh, hopefully, if, if Chris Curtis is committed to being the best fighter he can be and goes out there with the best um, game plan. He's got the skills to beat Joaquin Buckley. I am pretty confident in that. He just needs to go out there and do it. His last time against Jack Hermanson, listen, maybe it's short notice. Maybe it's, you know, he's the action man and they paired him off with the running man and uh, it just like didn't merge well, but it wasn't the type of fight that he kind of thrives in. He thrives in those violent exchanges. He wants to get hit. He wants to hit and be hit, get hit, do some hitting, and then die trying. Like, he, I know it sounds cliche because you'll hear fighters say it all the time, like, I'm willing to die in there. He, I, I'm telling you this because I've met him a few times personally and we've spent time together. He's pretty much the only guy that I actually believe when he says, I'm, I'm down to die in there. Like, this is his whole purpose. So to fight Hermanson and have Jack run away the whole time, it is a bit of an issue. But uh, I'm not trying to shit on my way action, man. The, the one issue that I'm noticing is when he fought 35 times on the regional scene, nobody knew who he was. So anyone getting paid a whole lot of money. So the only reason he got into a cage that many times and fought guys for Valhalla, man, that's his whole thing. He wants to see in Valhalla. He wants to, you know, die an honorable death. So he takes these fights for no money against who's who. He fights at 185. He fights at 205. He fights at 170. He fights right across the board just to keep active. When he came to the UFC, no expectations on him. And he goes out and then he gets, a, you know, a, a huge win over Phil Hawes cashes an extra $50,000, right? Then he goes out there and he beats Brandon Allen. Well, he just beat him, plus he cashes another $50,000, gets back-to-back bonuses. At that point, you go and you take Vieira on, and you can even see in the Vieira fight, he's lazy. You know, he's getting hit a whole lot by Rodolfo Vieira. Um, you see him on social media. Bro, he answers everybody, everybody. He got a 1,000 messages that day. He'd send out a 1,000 replies. And the Hermanson thing. So what people shit on you online? This is the internet, man. What are you talking about? People are going to shit on you. You don't got to go and answer them all. And so now he's got a podcast and he does a fight buddy companion thing during the fights. And, you know, he gives he gives his opinion on every single story and he engages with everybody. It almost feels like, you know, wow, it's it, good for him. It's your hard work paid off, right? You went from obscurity to being a somebody and that's badass. But it, it, I don't know. I don't know that he's fully committed to just being, you know, die on my shield anymore as much as it's like, ooh, I, I like this newfound fame. I like people reaching out. I like doing interviews. I like talking. Hell, I'm doing an inter- I'm doing an, an event January 21st, Z Promotions Fight Night 17, Alberta. Chris Curtis is our color commentator. And it's like three weeks after this fight or not this fight, sorry. 
and it's six weeks from now. It's six weeks from now. So he's going to fight. He's going to spend some time in Vegas. He's going to fly. He's going to do color commentary for the first time because he reached out because he wants to, because he's already thinking about what are other things I can do to get my name out there, my face out there. So yeah. Is he going to go out there and get caught by somebody and get surprised by somebody? It's entirely possible. And with Joaquin Buckley, like he packs a whole lot of heat, man. Like you don't want to be getting clipped. You can let Rodolfo hit you. I get that. Don't let Buckley hit you. So I feel like it'll be a little bit stickier than it maybe it needs to be, but I'm an action man Homer. And so let's bring it back to the positive of why Chris Curtis wins this fight. Two reasons. Take down defense, striking output. Take down defense is nearly flawless. What he's shown you in the UFC so far is 100% take down defense. Jack Hermanson, I don't think really tried to wrestle him all that much. Yeah, sorry. Jack went 0 for 6 on takedowns, right? Uh, Rodolfo Vieira went 0 for 20 on takedowns. Like, man, that's pretty dope. And a lot of those takedowns are like they're very deep in. When you watch on stuff on regional scene on Chris Curtis, same thing. He's got very good hips. He's always had very good hips. The only takedowns he's really given up in the last like almost 10 years are to uh, Magomed, Magomed Karamov. And when you got two Magomeds in your name, you know, you're going to be one of those guys that's probably good at wrestling. So no fault to Chris Curtis. I think he's got excellent hips. When you look at Buckley, Buckley's got the highlight reel. He's got the big power. He's got, you know, the, the crazy kick KO. But for the most part, he's trying to wrestle in a lot of his fights. He tries to get these fights to the ground. He doesn't have good 15-minute cardio because you've seen the muscular structure on this guy. You've seen the chest on this guy. I don't think he's built to go a hard 15. And again, when you look at his numbers, his numbers are like criminally low. Mm-hmm. His fight with Nasruddin Imovov, he lands 46. That's high for him. Before that with Durayev, it was two full rounds. It's a finish. Two full rounds, 27 strikes landed. Uh, him versus Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, 51. And he's curled over on his back, gasping for air at the end of the third round, almost dead. Not a good look, that Abdul Razak Al-Hassan fight. And he mixes in five takedowns in the mix. Uh, his fight with Antonio Arroyo, he knocks him out at the uh, late in the third, 41 significant strikes landed. His career high is 51 in 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 UFC appearances. The most he's ever landed on an opponent is 51. So if you count that he'll land 51 and mix in 3 or 4 takedowns, then he can win the fight. But against action, man, if you don't get those takedowns, and you're going to land 51, he's going to double you up on the numbers. Of course, when you look at him, when he knocks out guys, Knocks out Phil Hawes in the first, so he only has 21. Brendan Allen knocks him out in the second. He had landed 61 significant strikes seven minutes into the fight. His yeah. fight with Rodolfo Vieira, he lands 109. His fight with Jack, he landed 43, chasing the guy down the whole time. So I hate to just make it a numbers game, but I think his takedown defense good enough to stuff Buckley, keep the fight standing, use his jab, use his right hand, back him up, batter him around a little bit, and get the job done. Last but not least, we can move on. Both guys trained together at Extreme Couture before, so they're a little more familiar with each other's styles. And the thing with Action Man is he uh, he he almost not spars like Strickland, like he goes too hard, but he just comes at you and gives you those angles. He allows you to style on him. He allows you to do these things. But I think he would have gotten more out of fighting Buckley, seeing how he sets up those big shots, seeing how he moves, seeing how you can break this guy, seeing how his cardio acts up in the gym. I feel like Action Man would have downloaded way more information on Buckley than Buckley would have downloaded on him. So sign me up for Chris the Action Man Curtis to, to win. And uh, if you think about this now, he, he, he's hit for us at plus money. I think he was a slight favorite over Jack Hermanson and he lost. If we can get him back at plus money, Paul, this is where he's been the best for us. That's where the action man gets our action. Yeah, I agree with you on all those fronts. And the last thing I will say, prize picks, it's got 40.5 for Buckley. Unfortunately, they don't do significant strike numbers for like any of the underdogs. Um, I know that his 
volume is usually pretty low, but Action Man tends to get hit a lot. Like, call a spade a spade. You know, Rodolfo Vieira landed 86 significant strikes on him. In those two rounds that he knocked out Brennan Allen, Brandon Allen still cleared the 40.5 mark and got to 43. I think Action Man kind of forces guys to throw with him. Um, and, like, Phil Haas had 48 significant strikes in round one, which is absurd. Um, and gassed out. <laughs> and, and then gassed out. But, like, I feel like Buckley's numbers are super, super low, but Action Man may force him to, you know, creep over, even in a loss, creep over that 40.5. Because, like, if this goes three rounds, you know, nobody gets knocked. I guess the way that you lose it is Chris Curtis knocks, uh, knocks Buckley out. And you know, say la vie, but uh, you know, going through this entire card on prize picks, I'm just, I'm, I'm just picking out the ones that I feel like I have a slight edge. So more than uh, forty point five significant strikes, I think you can get there, even in like two rounds, if it's a high tempo fight, and that's what Chris Curtis is probably going to try to make Joaquin Buckley do. All right, we got uh, Billy Corntillo taking on Alexander Hernandez minus one sixty Corntillo. Plus 140 for Alexander the Great. Who you got here, buddy? Yeah, this one was tough. When the fight got announced, I'm thinking Billy Q. I like Billy Q and and ugh, just beats him down the stretch, let's say. But the don't love the money line on it. It seems like everybody else is on the same page, too. They think Billy Q just breaks him down. And, and if that's the case, why would you not live bet this guy? I mean, Alexander Hernandez is a problem for about three, four, maybe five minutes. If he finishes Billy in the five minutes, kudos to him. Billy is one tough customer, but more realistically, he just gives a good account of himself in that first round. Hernandez has got explosive, you know, striking. He's got uh, solid power. He's got decent wrestling. He's a factory X Muay Thai guy who's definitely been uh, falling into more of a coaching position lately, getting a little more mature. But uh, yeah, those big spots, they evade him. They evade him. He does not take damage particularly well. When he gets hit, he tends to shy away. And his cardio just doesn't seem to keep up. Billy, Billy's like the polar opposite. In fact, if you could mix, if this was like Dragon Ball Z and you could fuse Billy and Hernandez together, they'd be make one hell of a mm-hmm. fighter. Because Billy's intangibles are, he's got a hell of a chin and he's got unreal good cardio. So where he lacks in a lot of those physical gifts, he's not the most, most jacked up guy in the division. He's not the strongest guy in the division. He doesn't have that explosive wrestling. Uh, BJJ Black Belt, great pace, ability to withstand damage and keep going. And I think that's the key here. Hernandez will be a tough customer in that early going. The Billy should be able to tire him out, break him down, cause him to take a bad shot, end up on top, wreck him from the top position. And Hernandez is not really like a lose a decision kind of guy. Like if things are not going his way, he'll pack it up. Whereas Billy doesn't, Billy won't quit on himself. He'll fight the entire 15 minutes, sometimes doesn't get the finish. I got like a gut feeling that Billy can go out there and finish Alexander Hernandez. But in both scenarios, I'm going to be way better off betting this after the first round, mm-hmm. whereas Billy will be it'd be competitive and I can get close to even, or Billy might lose and I can get slight plus money. But the real fight starts in the second round, and that's where I'm expecting uh, Billy to take over. So something for Quarantillo, way more interested in that live betting market. Yeah, that makes I mean, most of what you said is pretty on board with what I think about this matchup. I could totally see Alexander Hernandez absolutely nuking him, being very, very strong at this 145-pound uh, division. You got to kind of see Alexander Hernandez on the scale before you feel any sort of yeah. comfort. Like, he's he's super, super thick. He was always, like, you know, very built for 155. 
It's a big cut. It's a big cut uh, for that type of frame down to 145. I think it'll suit him better if he can comfortably make this weight class time in and time out because he was usually a lot shorter than a lot of his other opponents. Um, but yeah, Billy round three, I see like plus 1300 out there. Like that's going to get my money. Um, and then otherwise I like it from your live betting perspective. It's like not really too interested in laying the minus 160 this early in the week um, when, you know, he's plus 125 after round one. Um, the guy's a cardio machine. Round one is going to be dangerous. He's going to have to avoid getting absolutely nuked, but We've seen it time and time again. It's like if Hernandez has a tough weight cut, even better. He's not going to be able to fight three rounds at Billy's pace. Like Billy puts a pace on you that I haven't seen anything from Hernandez at 155. Now cut 10 pounds off of him to lead me to believe that if this fight gets to round three, it is going to be all Billy Q. So we're on board there. We move on down. We've got Eric Silva. Not that Eric Silva. A 35-year-old Eric Silva. Um, from Contender Series, taking on TJ Beatdown Brown. Or is it D- Beatdown? No, it's down, Downtown Brown, right? Downtown. I like Beatdown. That's, uh, that's pretty good, dude. Yeah, Downtown Brown. Uh, pretty much a straight pick. I'm here. Minus 115 for Eric Silva. TJ Brown is minus 105. You got any thoughts on this one? No, I don't, actually. I'd like to dig a little bit deeper just because TJ Brown is coming out of Glory MMA and Fitness. So he would have been one of those guys affected by the Kraus news. And mm-hmm. then the fact that he's still on this card, he would have been like, sorry, dog, I'm going to go get somebody else to coach me for this fight. And then in theory, would have parted the gym, right? But TJ Brown, I don't know, he's a bit of a, like a wild card fighter to me. What he does bring to the table is, man, he, he can wrestle, he stays in your face, he's aggressive at times, but sometimes his durability is not there. Sometimes his cardio is not there. Sometimes he shoots so many takedowns that he gasses himself out. In fact, there's a lot of these spots where he's doing quite well for himself. Like the Danny Chavez fight, you know, early going, he's all, he he just allows him to get his leg blown off. He just, the slowest start of all times in his fight with uh, Jordan Griffin, seven takedowns in like the first round, Paul, six takedowns in the first round, one in the second, and he gets caught in a guillotine choke. Like he's not really putting it all together. So, well, initially, when he did go to Krause's gym, Gloria May and Fitness, I thought it would be a good fit for him. Because, I mean, he's kind of from the area. I think he's from Arkansas. Uh, trainer, former trainer partner of Bryce Mitchell. But he's got skill. He's got talent. He just needs a coach that can kind of hone it all together and put a good game plan for him together. Um, I, I, I just, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what he's going to deliver on fight day. Whereas Eric Silva, Eric Silva seems like one of these guys that's obviously very explosive, has that power. His fight on the contender series against uh, Anvar Boy Nazarov. Boy Nazarov's just a straight up one dimensional kickboxer. And even at that, he loses kickboxing matches in MMA. Like small gloves, call it what you want to call it. He's just really not all that good. So, you know, he falls on top of him. He finishes him quickly on his contender series fight, gets the contract, jumps in here. To me, TJ Brown could totally exploit him with the wrestling, take him down, grind him over. The thing to me is if TJ gets the early wrestling going and he tires himself out, he's a sitting duck and he takes way too many shots. He leaves his hands low, doesn't move his head. It really comes down to, does he tire himself out? So there's no greasy theory here. It's just like men are lost. And then the next glory MMA fitness guy that was up was last week, Marcelo Rojo. He did not particularly look good. And the next one up here would be TJ Brown. I'm expecting him to lose through no other. There's no reason. No one's throwing these fights. It's the universe, bro. The universe is correcting itself. And these guys are just legitimately losing fights on their own. So I'm going to have to go. Is it slight underdog plus 105 Eric Silva? Um, I mean, it's minus one. It's uh, no, he's minus 115 on the board. But like, 
There's okay, no such okay. thing. Yeah, it's a it's a pick'em, bro. Don't don't try to yeah, count this. Yeah, the bookie as always wins. Yeah, house always wins on those <laughs> minus one fifteens because you're paying the juice on both sides and they only got to pay one of them. But yeah, listen, it's a. I was going to try to credit to a dogger pass situation, but it's even money. I think I would lean towards Eric Silva. Strong, explosive, got something up his sleeve for Danny. Danny's last fight, same thing, even with uh, Nurmbayake, his last time out. He did get dropped. I don't think he takes a punch particularly well. It, it, it fully comes down to his ability to continuously get that wrestling going. So keep in mind, his boy, Bryce Mitchell, is on the card, right? Bryce is probably going to score many of takedowns if need be, and we certainly know he can score many of takedowns. If TJ comes in with a good, solid game plan and his cardio is in place, he wins this fight. But I don't know that I can trust him to do that. So... I'm going to just, well, it's basically a pass for now, but I'm going to lean towards Silva. I want to see weigh-ins, and I want to see kind of, yeah, mostly weigh-ins. I want to see his physicality, see if he, it was a good cut for him, see where he's at, see if I can find where he's moved his camp to. Um, but anyways, yeah, if you were going to pass on one fight on the whole card, this looks like it is. It. This doesn't seem like a bad spot from an under perspective, like from a betting perspective. Silva's last five or six fights have all finished early in round one. Um... Brown has been caught in submissions and knocked out in many fights before. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's really tr- tough with Eric Silva though, because like really all we saw is like him against a one-dimensional di- kickboxer, and then like his previous fights to that, like he's taking on legit cab drivers. So like, who knows what you can really glean from that? But um, I'll probably get some of this like plus one forty five to the under one and a half. I'll pick Silva, um, for the purposes of this program. Vincius Salvador takes on Daniel De Silva, minus two thirty five. Salvador plus two hundred for De Silva. Crazy, crazy total on this one. It's like minus two ten to the under one and a half already. Daniel De Silva, literally allergic to second rounds. Um, Salvador was an interesting little spot on the contender series because he was a pretty sizable underdog against uh, Shannon Ross on contender series. I think he was like plus 235 or something like that. And frankly, the dude like, yeah, the dude hadn't, hadn't really fought too, too much. He had fought a zero and zero guy named Wallace Vampirino. Um, before that, and then like had had like two years off, like had been pretty inactive. Nobody really knew what to expect from him. I don't think there was very much tape out there, and he put on a hell of a performance. He looked super, super solid. Daniel De Silva, on the other hand, I mean, it's kind of crazy. Like it, they've all been entertaining fights, so maybe that's why he's getting a fourth opportunity here inside the octagon. But like getting knee barred by Francis Figueredo in the first round. Not a good look. Altamirano, not particularly a potent finisher most of the time. Getting ground and pounded, not a great look. He did have Altamirano hurt a little bit early on. Like, all of his fights are absolutely wild. Um, I don't know how you could back him, though. It's just like, and and the under is already super, super steamed. Vincius Salvador is the pick. Vincius Salvador inside the distance. All these things are super, super chalky. Maybe Daniel De Silva finally says, ah, you know, I've got a little bit of talent here, but I'm like killing myself just trying to always find finishes and is able to extend himself a little bit and and kill everybody's uh, under bets in this spot. But yeah, I mean, it seems pretty straightforward. Salvador is a mon- like massive, massive frame in this division. 
Uh, durability should be able to hold up for him. And Daniel De Silva is very boom or bust, but it's been all bust in the octagon. So, Salvador, for me, what about you? Yeah, it's funny. The UFC signs everybody to a four-fight deal. That's kind of what you sign. And a lot of guys will fan out after two or three fights where they're like, yeah, you know what? You're losing. You're not quite there. Uh, we're going to part ways with you. Well, Serta's had literally no success in the UFC so far, and yet they're letting him fight out his contract because it's not about losing. It's about losing and putting on a show for the fans. That's all they care about, and that's what Serta brings to the table. Say with Jeff Molina, you know, it's a banger in that first round. He gets caught. 47 seconds into the second. And then, as you mentioned, his last two, he's allergic to the second round. He goes for it in the first, getting caught in a knee bar. That's mad suspect. And then his last time against Victor Altamirano, getting caught knocked out. That one was a crazy fight. He scored a knockdown over Altamirano. Altamirano gets back up, returns the favor. The difference is when Victor goes down, he's got his wits about him. He fights through. When Lacerda goes down, he covers up. And there's another thing about him. is like the guy, everything he throws is as fast and as explosive as he possibly can. He's very fast, but a nasty hook kick. But everything is just explosive. He wants to KO you with that very first shot. Well, there is no plan B. There's nothing else to fall behind on. Um, Vinicius Salvador, I was one of those guys I was on the on the Ross side in the contender series. It just looked like Ross had a lot of experience on the regional scene, had fought some okay guys, had a good style. And uh, with Salvador, man, he just breaks him down. The kid's got a lot of power, five foot seven at 125 pounds. He's long. He uses that length very effectively. And the fact that he's able to carry over that pace the first to the end of the second, knock him out at the end of the second, racks up 79 significant strikes, landed through not even two rounds, good volume, able to carry it. This does look like a solid, young, talented prospect. Lacerda is capable of catching anybody. Sure, of course, it's MMA, and the way he fights, he can catch you. But MMA is not a who can win in the first two minutes. If you want to know who wins in two minutes, go go meet up with the guy behind you know, the bike rack after school. Like That's a two-minute fight. This is a 15-minute fight, dog. It's a way different ballgame. Lacerda is not equipped for that. And so I feel like Salvador is just going to, you know, maybe have to restore an early storm or maybe just catch him partway through the first. But they're going to throw down. I just feel like the guy that's got the length, the ability to carry over that power. Um, and, and again, he looked good on the contender series. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're a 20 to 1 underdog in the contender series. You look good in front of Dana White. They sign you. It changes everything for you. He goes from complete obscurity to being a decent enough prospect and one that I think is going to be able to go out there and, and hopefully get the win over Daniel Lacerda, who at 0-3 and not really shown a whole lot other than one knockdown over Altamirano. He's more just like one of these all-action guys that it's the end of the year. He's about to go 0-4 in the UFC, and they'll quietly part ways with them going into the new year. And finally, we got Cameron Simon taking on Steven Kozlow. Minus 365 Simon, plus 300 for Kozlow. Who you got here, bud? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. This one got thrown on late. So, like, it's the one fight that I, I actually want to look at. So, I, I don't. What, what was the price, did you say? Sorry. Minus 365. People like themselves some salmon, which is kind of interesting because he was, you know, on Contender Series, I believe. He was the underdog on Contender Series. I mean, the, the problem with this Kozlo kid is that, like, he seems to be a one-dimensional submission specialist. He's a 10th planet sure. jiu-jitsu guy from uh, from Jacksonville. And the, the the guys he's submitting are absolute nobodies. The Simon kid showed some, some promise on Contender Series. There have been some earlier fights in his career where... You know, he got exploited a little bit on the ground. It's 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 a spicy one for sure, but like 
Uh, Simon's so so young. You, you figure he's probably filled in those gaps. He's like kind of like the protege of uh, of Drickus, who's also on this card. Obviously, who we already talked about. Um, yeah, I feel yeah, like you, you know, either you either play like you know you either like parlay up Simon here, or you take like the ultimate like little stab on like a Coslo by submission. Like I think there's only two ways to go about it. Yeah, I would say from Cameron Simon, again, you did mention kids born in the year 2000, right? He's 22 years old. But what we did see on the contender series is like, yeah, he's actually way more mature than his years would suggest. He's solid. His frame solid. Good, strong, physical fighter. Um, put a good pace on against Joshua Wang Kim. Joshua Wang Kim was previously undefeated. He had like one loss by disqualification, I believe. He's got a twin brother that's like also a very good a fighter. He was something like 19 and one as an amateur. He was credited. The UFC had their eye on him. He was the betting favorite over Solomon. And the kid just goes out there and, and put an absolute beating on him. Got taken down one time, sprung right back up. Strong, solid cardio. And like you said, prodigy of Dreykus to places. Dreykus, what he gets away from, or like gets gets away with, sorry, is uh, he's got mad cardio, and he's a junkyard dog, and he'll go through the fire if need be to get it done. Same as another one of these guys. He's tough, but he's got that cardio and that ability to go a couple hard rounds, put that pace on you, and break you down. So Wang Kim, like I've seen Wang Kim against lesser competition, but nobody just beat him this way, tired him out, broke him down, caused him to quit on himself. So I think that, yeah, again, he's only 22 years old. He does have a bright future. Steve Coslow, you're right in the assessment. Coslow is more of a grappler. He wants to get these fights to the ground. He's got an undefeated record. Of course, that always looks good. Uh, you know, Florida guy, he's mostly fought for Florida-based promotions, and I feel like they do kind of build him up a little bit. The only one little thing that I could leave you with is I I guess it doesn't matter, but I got a buddy named I don't I'll give you his name, Mike Imperato, right? Mike Imperato, uh, he's I'm looking for a specific type of fight. So it's okay, you want a specific type of fight? Yep, yep. So you give him 110 guys, right? And he turns down 109 of those guys. That's just kind of how, how he is, right? He wants to fight Steve Coslow. He signed on the dotted line of Steve Coslow. He got caught with a knee like three days out of the fight. Cut him. The fight got called off. He was pretty adamant that Steve Coslow was terrible and that he would take him down and submit him with relative ease. Keep in mind, this guy turned down guys that were 7 and 8. This guy turned down guys that were 9 and 10. This guy wanted to fight Steve Coslow, who's undefeated, because by his own accord, him and his team had taped him out a zillion times, and he is a no good. So, yeah, is he in the UFC? Sure. But he's in the UFC short notice on the basis of this undefeated record, and they need someone to just throw in there with this good-looking 22-year-old you know, kid coming off the contender series. I think he puts a beating on him. I think he does. Fluke submission? Sure. It could happen, but uh, I don't even think he gets the fight to the ground. If he does, it's for a second, and if he's forced to stay standing, he's going to get mauled and stopped by TKO. So uh, ever so slightly, again, I'd love to just dive more into those last three fights on the card before I really lock stuff in, but yeah, I think Sam and probably puts a puts a good beating on him and stops him partway through the second. Yeah, and his, him inside the distance actually doesn't seem all that bad, to be perfectly honest. It's... Simon inside the distance is in the minus 120-ish range right now. It's probably by knockout, but, you know, it's so close. Like, you know, by knockout is like plus 100, plus 110. So, it's like, you might as well just take inside the distance uh, from that perspective. Maybe Costco, Coslo, Costco, uh, Coslo has like some sort or has some serious durability. I mean, it's almost impossible to know. The guy finishes everybody in round one, so... um I think that's probably the way I would go about it. Uh, no bets that are locked in for me so far this week. Um, 
you know, last week I had a whole bunch of them, but like nothing's really jumping off the page. I like that same. Uh, I'll have to look a little bit more into it to be perfectly honest. Simon for uh, inside the distance. Don't really mind that. Uh, I'm gonna end up with some money on Chris uh, Chris Curtis, and then. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. We'll see where we end up at Paul Shag on Twitter. I'll always uh, share all of my plays on fight day. Cody, the time has come. Hit him with the PRP. Okay, go with the PRP. And, yeah, well, I mean, it's pretty favorite heavy. We're going Magomed Ankalaev at the top. Uh, we got Patty Pimblett. We're going to go Santiago Ponzinibbio. We're going to go with Darren Till's dog number one, Bryce Mitchell, Paulo Rosa's junior. Yerzina Rosenstruck, Edmund Shabazian, Chris Curtis, dog number two, Billy Q, live bet him. He could be your dog number three if you just wait on the right time. Uh, Eric Silva, TJ Brown, total coin flip, man. If you like grappling, I tend to prefer grappling, maybe TJ Brown. If you like durability, power, catch the guy late in the fight, not going to quit on yourself, I think Eric Silva. <clears throat> but the, what, what, he's knocked out everybody in the first round. So, like, do I even know this kid can fight in the second? I know TJ can't, but, like, this, it's a bit of a question mark. I'm going to go with Eric Silva. But that one's even money on the other side. Uh, we're going to go with Vinicius Salvador and Cameron Samen. So there's 13 fights on the card. Effectively, we've got two underdogs. But between Chris Curtis, a dog that's always been good to me, and Darren Till, <laughs> I don't really care for. But this is a good spot for him, I think. Hopefully, we get a couple dog hits. Hopefully, the favorites come through. I know what you're saying. It's a bit of a sticky you know, card this week. Which props do you like? Everything that you do like is already juiced. What money lines do you like? Well, a couple money lines here and there, but... Parlays have not been going too well. So, do you feel comfortable putting four guys together, five guys together? Maybe not. Well, who are your one, two that are absolute mega locks? Then you look at it, it's like, other than Ankalaev, who's priced to be a mega lock, what other mega lock is on this card, Paul? Nothing. But that's why it's gambling. You got to take a couple shots here and there. I think the value is going to come from uh, Bryce Mitchell. I think some value is going to come from Edmund Shabazian. I feel like Chris Curtis is going to be our dog that comes through. Billy Q at minus 160, still really not all that bad. Uh, Cameron Salmon. If you can just get that core five or six to come through, Papa will not complain. Let's go into the holiday season with a little extra cheer. So that is the mission, as it always is, my friend Paul Shaughnessy. Yes, sir. Yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, I don't know why nothing's really jumping off the page this week for me. Um, probably not going to force nearly as many shots. I may have like two or three bets this week, but uh, yeah, it's probably at this point, it feels like it's probably a week where. I'm not going to really beat any crazy line movement by jumping in at this point. I'll probably wait until after weigh-ins on Friday before I make any final decisions. But that is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For Cody Safdick and producer Megan, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. 
Go to buyoptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.